Good evening and welcome to Nightline Africa. We are coming to you live from the English to Africa service of the Voice of America. Thanks for joining us. I'm Peter Clotty in Washington, D.C. We are trying to contain this conflict. We know that on October 7th, Hamas immediately put out a call to Palestinians in the West Bank to take up arms, to grab knives, to grab guns and to massacre Israelis. Hamas's goal on October 7th was to launch an attack not only from Gaza, but to set the whole region aflame. South Africa refers Israel to the International Criminal Court over allegations of war crimes and crimes against humanity. We'll have a reaction. That's a problem. Yes, I, I, I'm sure that the collective of candidates, uh, not only Rafael Manon, he's part of the collective of 10 candidates who boycotted this. Madagascar opposition political parties reject the recent election. Events of yesterday and today where four senior opposition leaders have been charged for both espionage and, uh, in my case, uh, seditious practices. And groups express concern about what they say is the shrinking of the democratic space in Zambia. Those stories and more coming up on Nightline Africa. U.S. and Israeli officials say there are ongoing negotiations to help release the hostages kidnapped by Hamas on October 7. But Israeli officials refuse to give details due to what they say is the sensitive nature of the negotiations. This following report of a possible deal that will lead to the release of the hostages to their families. Meanwhile, South Africa has officially referred Israel to the International Criminal Court over allegations of war crimes and crimes against humanity. This, as the ruling party also backs calls for a parliamentary measure to close down the Israeli embassy in South Africa. For the latest development about the negotiations and the war between Israel and Hamas, I reach Elon Levi via Skype. He is a spokesperson for the Israeli government. Here is the conclusion of the conversation. Well, some people have wondered whether the goal of defeating Hamas completely is achievable because they argue that it's an idea in spite of the um, ac action they took, which some people have described as a terrorist action. But is this goal achievable? Because they said this is an idea and it's very difficult to completely wipe out or defeat an idea that has taken root. You're right, it's very difficult, but look what the world did with ISIS. A decade ago, 86 nations came together and decided that the so-called Islamic State could not be allowed to control territory in ISIS in, in, in Iraq and Syria any longer. And those 86 nations laid waste to Mosul and Raqqa, and they did everything they had to do in order to deny ISIS a territorial stronghold in Iraq and Syria, and they succeeded in denying ISIS its terrorist and governing capabilities. And we will do the same to Hamas. The only difference is that we're not flying halfway around the world to destroy a terror organization that controls territory. This is literally our backyard. Our soldiers who are in Gaza right now, if they see a terrorist about to fire a rocket and they do not take out that terrorist, that rocket will hit that soldier's house inside Israel. Hamas is meters away from people's homes. But look, you're right, it's very difficult to defeat an idea. And that's why we think that after this war, two things have to happen. One, Gaza must be demilitarized. The Gaza Strip can never be allowed to host a terror organization that poses a military threat to Israel, firing rockets at it or able to invade it. Gaza must be demilitarized. But the second thing is that the Gaza Strip must be de-radicalized. Because 
No one said during the Second World War, if we keep bombing Nazis, it will only radicalize another generation of Germans. After the Second World War, the world de-radicalized Germany and Japan, and now they are prosperous, democratic countries and US allies. And we can't have another generation of Palestinian children growing up on a diet of hatred and indoctrination and being taught that the whole land between the river and the sea is rightfully Palestine and there's no space for the state of Israel. Briefly before you go, uh, Mr. Levi, what is the latest development following reports of clashes in the West Bank? We are trying to contain this conflict. We know that on October 7th, Hamas immediately put out a call to Palestinians in the West Bank to take up arms, to grab knives, to grab guns and to massacre Israelis. Hamas's goal on October 7th was to launch an attack not only from Gaza, but to set the whole region aflame in the West Bank, in Lebanon, from Yemen. And we are focusing on Hamas in the Gaza Strip. We are focusing on destroying the military machine that perpetrated the October 7th massacre. And we're doing everything we can to contain it so we can go after Hamas without this conflict escalating any further. Elon Levi is a spokesperson for the Israeli government. He spoke with me via Skype from Jerusalem, Israel. Hi, this is Larry London, and I'd like to invite you to a brand new feature coming up on Tuesdays on Border Crossings. And we've got some great guests lined up. We are going to bring you our Tuesday Spotlight Artist of the Week. We will feature and highlight an interview and some live performances. And it's all happening on Border Crossings at 1500 Universal. This is something special that's coming in December on Tuesdays. Here on The Voice of America. The Hamas attack on October 7 and the subsequent military operation have deepened the division between Jews and Muslims within Israel's society. But some families remain steadfast in their belief that Arabs and Jews can coexist and learning how to live together start in school. For the UA, Pilar Cabrian has the story narrated by Veronica Villafani. There is a lot of disappointment on how the the elections was rigged, but because it's a case, obviously, and we do share, you know, the this impression, this feeling of the 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 political opponents, everything uh, is full of irregularity. So we anticipated already this rigging of elections because we are in a total scheme of a state capture where the electoral institutions, but also the high constitutional court are totally bought by Razuelna. So people were at the same time disappointed that the results uh, is already so bad, so bad in the sense that they are in favor of Razuelna, uh, disappointed as well that the international community didn't do anything, you know, to avoid this despite many calls. Uh, for mediation from the Saddam. Guy Elhanan is an Israeli who has made the deliberate choice of enrolling his children in a unique school environment where Jewish and Muslim students attend classes together. There are many benefits. If I have to choose one, is that they lack this very uh, essential component of the Israeli Jewish identity which is a fear of the other. Guy says he is fighting against an Israeli society entangled in conflict and moving towards a future marked by division, estrangement and confrontation. Generations on generations of uh, very fruitful, beyond fruitful, I mean the Jewish and the Arabic culture, Muslim culture group together. They can't exist without each other. 
That's why he wanted his children to attend school alongside other Muslim students, Israeli Arabs, descendants of Palestinians who integrated into the state of Israel after it became independent in 1948. Arabs make up about 21 percent of the country's population, and among that minority population, his son's best friends. I would say it's either Adam or Liam. Both uh, very sweet, wonderful kids, both very good in football. Both of them uh, have a Jewish mother and a Palestinian father. Haifa is a unique city in Israel. It's among the rare places where mixed couples live, where both Jewish and Muslim communities come together, fostering an atmosphere of mutual tolerance. This environment encourages dialogue on pressing issues, including the recent war in Gaza. This was evident during a recent weekend at Haifa's Mahmoud Mosque, where Jews and Muslims converged to share an evening, sending a message of peace and coexistence to the rest of the country. Muhammad Sharif Ode is president of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in Haifa. I invite all our neighbors that are afraid from us, I don't know why they are afraid, to tell them we are living here before Israel and after Israel in a peaceful way and we live together in the neighborhood in the coexistence. For the moment, the Gaza war has created divisions that threaten to spread beyond Gaza. But here in this place, where Israelis and Muslims share space, there are those who still believe that conflict resolution and a lasting peace is achievable. For Pilar Sebrian in Haifa, Israel, Veronica Villafañe, VOA News. In Madagascar, opposition political parties are rejecting the recent election, saying incumbent President Andrew Rajolin is not qualified to contest. They say the president's candidacy violates the constitution, contending that he holds French citizenship. This, as the vote tally shows, the president has taken a commanding lead. Many opposition parties boycotted the poll, saying it lacked transparency. Katatendriana Rafitosin is a political analyst in Madagascar. She tells me that opposition and civil society groups are likely to challenge in court the outcome of the elections. There is a lot of disappointment on how the the elections was rigged, but because it's a case, obviously, and we do share, you know, the this impression, this feeling of the 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 political opponents, everything uh, is full of irregularity. So we anticipated already this rigging of elections because we are in a total scheme of a state capture where the electoral institutions, but also the high constitutional court are totally bought by Razuelna. So people were at the same time disappointed that the results uh, is already so bad, so bad in the sense that they are in favor of Razuelna. Uh, disappointed as well that the international community didn't do anything, you know, to avoid this, despite many calls uh, for mediation from the SADC or intervention from all the donors who are backing these elections. The opposition said the president who is seeking re-election should not have run because exactly. he acquired French nationality in 2014, mm-hmm. which they say automatically uh, revokes his Malagasy citizenship and has created unfair election conditions. So how Mm -hmm. legitimate will this election be? Or do you anticipate a court uh, showdown? 
So the, there is no legitimacy of this election, uh, and you stated already the core heart of the problem, because um, uh, the root cause of the cr current crisis is linked to the controversy related to Rajelna's French nationality. It has arisen since the disclosure on June 15 of his French naturalization by a decree signed by uh, French authorities on November 2014. So according to several testimonies, this nationality had been granted to him in exchange for his withdrawal, which was only temporary, from the political scene a year earlier in 2013. Uh, so Andrzej Zelna should not have been allowed to run in the 2018 already presidential election, since any contender must prove Malagasy nationality as required by the constitution. It is not the fact that the president can benefit from dual nationality, which is the case for thousands of Malagasy people, uh, which poses problem here, but that he is no longer Malagasy. If his whole candidacy is illegal, yes. do you think the opposition, including former President Mark Ravalomanan, will mm -hmm. take this issue to court? And how independent is the court to adjudicate <laughs> this issue? That's a problem. Yes, I, I, I'm sure that the collective of candidates, uh, not only Rafael Manon, he's part of the collective of 10 candidates who boycotted this, but not also them as well, but civil society organizations are already preparing, you know, to take the case into court. But you are very right, uh, as the High Constitutional Court is uh, trapped and uh, uh, captured by, by Razuelna, uh, we have we put very little confidence on the issue of such action. So you see, uh, it's a very well organized holdup of the elections uh, that they have put into place. So we are still uh, envisaging what to do next, but we will, of course, uh, continue to work on that. That's why you know the 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 collective of candidates was claiming for the creation of the Special Electoral Court, the CES, uh, in order to replace the HCC and the CENI, but of course they didn't obey to, to that demand. Do you think the majority of Malagasy will mm -hmm. accept the outcome of the elections? The Malagasy population was quite divided on that matter because those who are able to really think and analyze the, the, the life of the nation and the political thing, I will say uh, two-thirds of the population were very conscious of what was going on and were not uh, believing that the elections should happen and were seeking for better. But there is a part of the Malagasy population, you know, Poverty plays a role in this situation, extreme poverty. Keta Kandriana Rafitosin is a political analyst in Madagascar. She spoke with me from the capital, Antananarive. In Zambia, opposition groups, civil society and the Catholic Church are expressing concern about what they say is the shrinking of democratic space. This after the Law Association of Zambia called on the authorities to ensure state institutions are not used to interfere in politics. 
The accord follows the recent arrest, indictment, and release of four opposition politicians. They all deny the charges. But critics accuse opposition leaders of breaking the law and urge law enforcement to carry out its mandate without bias. Emmanuel Mwamba, who was one of the four arrested, is a leading member of the main opposition party, the Patriotic Front, and a former Zambian ambassador. He tells me that the charges against them are politically motivated. There is um, a quickly shrinking democratic space. We've, I don't know how many times we've been arrested just for expressing ourselves. They will not allow us to engage with the public, who will not engage in uh, political rallies, and political meetings are highly restricted. So the event of yesterday and today, where four senior opposition leaders have been charged for both espionage and, uh, in my case, uh, uh, seditious practices. But, but Ambassador Mwamba, what do you say to critics who are saying that this is yet another attempt by the opposition to demonize the president and by extension the ruling party and his government for breaking the law willfully. And then when there is an enforcement of the law, then you criticize the government of shrinking the democratic space. There has to be the respect of rule of law. Isn't that what democracy is about, Ambassador Mwamba? In fact, uh, take my example. I called for peaceful protests across the country uh, to protect democracy, to protect the rule of law, to protect constitutionalism. Because what we have seen recently is that this government uh, is keen to abrogate the constitution, to abrogate the law, to abandon the rule of law, just to break the largest opposition party in the country, the, uh, the Patriotic Front. You have seen what has happened in parliament where the Speaker of National Assembly has illegally made changes to the leadership that we, the Patriotic Front, appointed and has put stooges there. We have seen the conduct of both the police, Ministry of Home Affairs, and activities that registrar of societies that register as political parties. So I called for protests. I stated that democratic institutions were under threat because Parliament is a democratic institution. Supporters of the, the UPND have dismissed your claims. They said that you are calling for peaceful demonstration and that peaceful demonstrations are allowed in Zambia and that what you are calling for is anarchy. Peter, that is in their mind. For us, we recognize we live in a democracy. And when democracy is under threat, we have to engage in peaceful and authorized processes to reclaim our democracy. And uh, uh, freedom of expression, uh, freedom to protest, these are fundamental rights enshrined both in our constitution and in our democracy. How can that be anarchy? We are not proposing to go to the bush. We are not proposing to break the law. We are saying we want to engage in, in public protests. What is wrong with that? My other colleagues, the vice president of our party, Colonel Bonakachinda, and Socialist Party President Fred Membe have been arrested for similar uh, charges. For Nakachinda and Fred Membe, they merely gave an interview to a Zimbabwean TV broadcast. How can that be espionage? So I will not be surprised tomorrow if I wake up and I'm being charged with espionage because I spoke to Voice of America. Critics of your party say that you are blaming the government for your own internal problems and that there are factions within the patriotic front and that because of these divisions 
there's confusion, there's disunity. There are two factions, one led by former President Edgar Chagualungu, and then the other one uh, led by Miles Bualia Sampa. So why blame the government when you are having your own internal problems instead of resolving them? You are blaming somebody else. We have no internal problems. The party is intact. Its leadership is intact. Um, what we have is a, a state-sponsored individual, state-sponsored uh, uh, activity, state-sponsored state process to undermine and uh, attempt to uh, kill, destroy, and steal the patriotic front. That is what we are facing. Because Mr. Miles Bwadia Sampa is a suspended official. He's been suspended since uh, February this year. How can an individual like that proceed to hold a conference? A person who is uh, suspended. This is an activity which is, uh, which is totally illegal under our laws, but it's being facilitated by the state. Emmanuel Mwamba is a leading member of the main opposition party, the Patriotic Front, and a former Zambian ambassador. He spoke with me from the Zambian capital, Lusaka. In Nigeria, the General Secretary of the National Labor Congress, or NLC, says the group decided to suspend the recent strike so the government could address their concerns. Emmanuel Ugboaja says workers were reacting to the government's slow response to the attack on Joe Ajairo, the leader of the National Labor Congress, and some executives in Imo State. His remarks come after the NLC and the Trade Union Congress, or TUC, suspended a nationwide strike over the attack on him and other executives. Emmanuel Ugboaja tells me that it was appropriate to suspend the strike since the government began meeting some of its demands, which he says includes the arrests and prosecution of the attackers. The strike was, uh, in fairness, called uh, based on the silence of the government in the face of uh, the brazen brutality of the president of NLC alongside other union leaders that went for a trade union uh, activity in Imo State, Southeast Nigeria. Uh, for more than uh, 10 to 12 days, not a word was heard from the government, even when the entire world had uh, been making calls, inquiries, and condemning the action. So we felt uh, this uh, shouldn't uh, be. And uh, we gave an ultimatum to the government to, to make a statement on uh, the issue. They did not. What do you say to those who are saying that the leader uh, was actually politicking and he should leave politics for the politicians? And that was what really got him into the trouble. Uh, and that instead of fighting for no, no. public workers, he was actually doing politics. No, that not, nothing can be further from the truth than that. Uh, uh, what uh, we have never pretended uh, about politics when we when we uh, get ourselves involved in politics, the Nigerian Labour Congress National Executive Council passed a resolution, and we went and campaigned for our former deputy president in KB State, and he won as governor. We had a resolution. We campaigned for Comrade Adam Soshimole. We didn't pretend about that. 
We had a resolution we campaigned for uh, Governor Mimico when he was a Labour Party candidate in Ondo State. We didn't pretend about that. We're too committed, too strong to pretend over issues. We're not politicians. We don't behave like them. We're who we are. When we say we are standing behind a candidate, we don't do it clandestinely. We do it in the open. And we let our principles and ideology drive us. So uh, anybody making that statement is uh, being uh, mischievous and evil because the truth of the matter is with this resolution that we're going to enforce had been on the table. Is the Labour and the TUC pleased with the meeting with the National Security Advisor of the President for which reason uh, the decision was made to suspend the strike? Yeah, we're, we're satisfied with the, the situation being undertaken because for us, it is criminality. And we didn't want people washing it under the carpet. So it doesn't become the norm. And for the National Security Advisor who, who oversees the security agencies, he told us exactly what uh, his office has done and is continuing to do. And uh, those were the actions we had demanded. We had demanded a, 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 a reprimand of the commissioner of police who supervised that his area commander arrest of uh, the individuals and uh, personnel that participated in that uh, unwholesome activity. And that guarantee uh, we have gotten. Uh, some of the actions, some of the steps are already being taken. And uh, uh, he is committed to having his office uh, midwife and uh, coordinate an interface with the governor over the issues. Uh, what people have tried, which is uh, uh, good for the governor, is to try to take away the real issues. The real issues are the suffering ghost, uh, uh, imaginary ghost workers in Nemo, people that have been without salaries for years while they still go to work, people that have put on more than 15 to 30 years of service uh, and are being branded ghost workers. Uh, those are the issues. Emmanuel Ogboja is the General Secretary of the National Labour Congress, or NLC. He spoke with me from the Nigerian capital, Abuja. U.S. President Joe Biden recently committed to the reauthorization of the Africa Growth and Opportunity Act, or AGOA, advocating for an extension to strengthen U.S.-Africa trade relations. My colleague David Vandy spoke with Fred Oladende, the chair of AGOA Civil Society Organization Network and president of the Foundation for Democracy in Africa, about the reauthorization news from the Cairo airport. It's a very welcome uh uh, message. The Agoa Civil Society Network applaud President Biden and the Biden administration for the executive support for the reauthorization of Agoa. As you know, we've had the campaign over the last year asking for signature or petition uh, to request that President Biden and the 118th Congress should try a most reauthorize AGOA before the deadline, which is the 30th of September of 2025. So we're very happy about this, and we hope that we will see uh, similar uh, reactions uh, also from other members of Congress. We know that Senator Kennedy 
and Senator Cruz and others have also supported the reauthorization of AGOA. Countries like Gabon, Niger, Uganda and the Central African Republic have been excluded from participating in the AGOA program by the U.S. government. How has this exclusion news been received by these countries and have you been in touch with any of them? Uh, yes, I have been. It's unfortunate that some of these countries have not been in full compliance uh, with the eligibility criteria of AGOA. And uh, I have talked to some of the small, medium enterprise businesses from Guinea, uh, from the Central African Republic. And, and my suggestion, I think the only hope that we need to do is to ensure that we work with this government in a way that they will again comply with AGOA eligibility. AGOA is a unilateral U.S. government trade policy that comes with benefits, but there are also their eligibility requirements. And as you know, even within the African Charter, uh, 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 of rights is also embedded that democracy and democratic governance uh, needs to be protected. And some of these governments have not been in compliance. And we just need to look for areas uh, to ensure that we can get all of those countries back into the fold. The U.S. president is encouraging Congress to reauthorize AGOA in a timely fashion. If this authorization goes through, what are some of the benefits for Africa? I think it would allow for the benefits of AGOA to ensure and to encourage uh, the continental free trade area to be fully in place. It is also our hope that this reauthorization with the required enhancement and civil society has been the Agua civil society has been asking for one tax incentives that would allow the African diaspora to increase investment to use the, some of the uh, remittances that are now being used for consumption to try to redirect them into investment and create jobs jobs in Africa, particularly for the youth, and also to increase U.S.-Africa trade and, 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 and encourage strengthening U.S.-Africa relations. Fred Oladende is the chair of Agua Civil Society Organization Network. He spoke with my colleague David Vandy from the Egyptian capital, Cairo. This is The Voice of America and you are listening to Nightland Africa. I'm your host Peter Clote in Washington. Coming up in the second half of Nightland Africa Sports with Samson O'Malley and that will be followed by a commentary by Dr. James Jonah, former UN Under Secretary General for Political Affairs and Music from African Collection. But first...
and it's now time for Night and Africa Sports. For that, let's join Samson O'Malley. Hello, Samson. Hi, Peter, and good evening, sports fans. Welcome to Nightline Africa Sports. The finals of the CAF Women's Champions League will be played on Sunday between former champions Mamelodi Sundowns of South Africa and Debuton Sporting Club Casablanca of Morocco in Kahugo, Cote d'Ivoire. The final of Africa's Premium Women's Football Club competition is now in its third edition. The winner will pocket 400,000 US dollars, while runners up will take home 250,000 US dollars. Mamelodi Sundowns have appeared in all finals of the CAF Women's Champions League in 2021 and 2022. The one day event in 2021 and finished second in 2022 and losing to another Moroccan side as far. Sporting Club Casablanca on the other hand are appearing in their first final. They advanced to the final after eliminating Ghana's Ampem Dakoa on penalties after a thrilling 2-2 draw. Staying with football news, goalkeeper Andre Onana has pulled out of Cameroon's World Cup qualifier against Libya on Tuesday after leaving the field injured when they beat Mauritius in their opening Group D game on Saturday. Onana has since returned to his club side Manchester United for treatment for an unspecified injury, according to the Cameroon Football Federation. And now to tennis. Rwanda has been selected alongside South Africa to host the 2023 ATP 50 Challenger Tour scheduled for February 2024. As part of the build-up and preparations for the event, a delegation from the Association of Tennis Professionals, ATP, is set to visit Rwanda from December the 10th to the 15th for a fact-finding mission. The 50 Challenger is one of the four ATP Tour Challenger events alongside the Challenger 75, Challenger 100 and Challenger 125. Starting from 2023, the ATP has phased out the Challenger 90 and 110 categories, effectively reducing the number of core Challenger categories from 6 to 4. The competition attracts players ranked between 100 and 200 in the world. In basketball news, the Basketball Africa League 2024 East Division Elite 16 qualifiers will be staged in South Africa beginning on Tuesday, November the 21st. Eight teams will be vying for three tickets up for grabs to participate in the fourth edition of the Basketball Africa League where 12 clubs from across Africa will be vying for supremacy at the Elite Club Basketball Showpiece which begins in March 2024. In what turns out as the final rounds for qualifiers, the South African city of Johannesburg will serve as the last stop for the qualifiers. In boxing news, former WBA junior featherweight champion Ghanaian Isaac Dubwe was defeated by Nick Ball to claim a 12-round unanimous decision victory on Saturday. All three judges scored the fight for Ball 119-108, to 116-111 to and 118-109 to in the WBC featherweight title eliminator at the AO Arena in Mar- Manchester, England. And out of volleyball, where Kenya Pipeline have booked a date with Rwanda Revenue Authority in the final of the Confederation of Africa Volleyball Zone 5 Club Championship set for Sunday at the BK Arena in Rwanda. And that's it for this week's edition of Nightline Africa Sports. Back to you, Peter. Thanks a lot, Samson. It's always a pleasure to hear from you. We'll link up with you again next Sunday for another look at African sports. Nightline Africa Sports. Now let's take a closer look at Africa, the problems, the prospect in time of conflict, in time of peace. Here's one man's point of view with Dr. James Jonah, former UN Undersecretary General for Political Affairs. Hello, Dr. Jonah. Good evening, Africa. There are three developments in Africa last week that deserve special attention. Firstly, the President of South Africa, 
Cyril Ramaphosa since the staging of the BRICS summit in Johannesburg recently has emerged as a strong African leadership with a strong voice to defend African interests everywhere. He has been particularly concerned to have Africa's voice in the war in Ukraine. And last week, he announced that South Africa was mobilizing African groups or states to go to the International Criminal Court to request investigation for what he alleged Israel's violation massacre in the Middle East, not only in the West Bank, but also in Gaza. When he was asked why South Africa was taking the case to the ICC since Africans have been criticizing the criminal courts as being biased. He said others are taking Africans and others to the courts and therefore he saw no reason why South Africa can hesitate. For this purpose, he had consulted with the Emir of Qatar and it seems that South Africa is ready to move ahead with his ICC investigation. The second incident is the conference in Ghana with regards to reparation for slavery in Africa. You may recall that at the last summit meeting of the African Union, Ghana was designated as a country that should mobilize Africans to pursue a reparation campaign. As you may know, the Caribbean countries for many years have been pursuing this campaign for reparation, but African countries were not as vigilant. Now things have changed, and it is very important because of all the peoples of this planet, the African people are the only ones that have not done their research, mobilized the communities to demand reparation for what Africans have suffered over the centuries during the transatlantic slave trade. Millions of African slaves perished in ships or in crossing the Atlantic. It is not so whether they will listen to the African voices for reparation, but Africans must know that other peoples have campaigned successfully for reparation and they have been benefiting for it. In fact, in the United States, African Americans are launching their own campaign for reparation. And the third incident was the complaint by Botswana of what Botswana felt was the decision by the foreign minister of the group of seven that met recently in Tokyo. They decided to unilaterally make sanction against Russia for its trade in diamonds. For this purpose, it is intended that all diamond production should be routed to Belgium to identify which ones are Russian and not. The complaint of the government Botswana is they were not consulted and any such practice will have a negative impact in the, in the price of diamonds. And indeed, three major diamond producers in the world, South Africa, Botswana, and Sierra Leone, appeared not to have been sufficiently consulted. And as far as Sierra Leone concerned, Sierra Leone was the country that brought about the notion of blood diamonds. 
In fact, I can testify that the first meeting to put into, into practice the practice of the nine blood diamonds were taken in Freetown. So these are the issues which have been dominating last week in Africa. And it is due to the fact that African leaders are seeing that we live today in the rough age where there seems to be no rule of law to some avow it, where the United Nations is reiterating that it had no power, it has no military force, and its voice are not listed. So this is something which we have to watch about Africa, that they now believe that they should protect their own vital interests in the world. I thank you. And that was Waman's point of view, a commentary by Dr. James Jonah, former UN Under Secretary General for Political Affairs. And it's Sunday on Nightline Africa. This is the time we get to reflect and flashback with music from the continent. Big lights, big stadium. Big arenas, it gets no bigger. Welcome to the big leagues. Let's make history. Welcome to the big league. Let's make history. This week we have a special guest. Actually, we have two special guests. We have Mr. TZ and we have E Breezy. Am I correct, E Breezy? Because you got so many names, sweetie. What's going on? It seems like everybody needed to give me a name. Um, because they've seen me going through this personal project or personal journey alone, and they felt like they needed to be a part of it as well. So they embedded their name to my name so they could just feel like I, they were a part of the journey as well. So, yeah, that's why I ended up just accepting all of them, and I'm still taking in all of the names. Sometimes somebody just come up with a name and be like, like, right. Yeah. So, how right. did you get the name E Breezy? Like, what does that mean? Because I know what this guy names mean. <laughs> how did you get the name E Breezy? E Breezy. So, um, Ibrahim is my name. So it's pronounced with the E. Um, but it's spelled with the I. So that's where the E came from. Um, and the Breezy is just because I give people chill. You know, I give people chills when they hear my music. They hear the story behind the music it just gives them chill so that's where the the whole name came from oh i like that you give chill so you're a deep brother i can tell so let's take a listen to hopper and we'll be right back two five five nation you gotta focus on what you see you gotta focus on what you need it's a dream then let it be Chanzo hapa, chukua tuwa ya kwanza 
kuchukua tua ya kwanza usiogope la wama usiogope la wama matumaini yanafuata mabadiliko yanafuata matumaini yanafuata mabadiliko yanafuata it's been a long ride and i've learned some things i know that no matter how hard you try you can't clip by wings no matter how harsh the cold there will always be a spring i know the bees buzz around and sometimes they sting but how can a pebble burn down a king and i don't know what the future will bring that's why i look so sorry when i'm always in una chanzo hapa una chanzo hapa chukua tua ya kwanza chukua tua ya kwanza usiogope la wama usiogope la wama matumaini yanafuata mabadiliko yanafuata matumaini yanafuata mabadiliko yanafuata back in the studios with these gorgeous hunk of a men. <laughs> I don't even know if they say hunk of a men right now, but they are gorgeous. But anyway, so that was a fabulous tune. I mean, the female that you had on this track, her vocals are are just phenomenal. I love her. I love the vocals. I love the track. I love the the hook and everything like that. So, what's going on, guys? Oh. Um her vocals are definitely nice. Um she is going through her own journey as well, so it was very I was very glad that I was able to get her in that moment. Um because once you when when you hear her vocals, you can hear a lot of emotions. Um her name is Carissa by the way. And um yeah, I even got her on the outro as well. I, I was not planning to get her on the outro as well, but I got her on the outro as well because I just didn't want to miss that part that she provided to the song. So tell me a little bit about it yourself. Like, how did you get started in this music venture? So, I used to be a actual freestyler. So I used to freestyle before I started doing music or anything like that. Um and I used to before freestyling I used to be a dancer. So um that's where the whole music started for me and my curiosity just led me to wonder like okay I can freestyle now like you're talking about you know meeting your full potential is like why do freestylers cannot write a song? And that's when I took the challenge of trying to know how to write a song and trying to break that barrier to the other freestyler or the people that used to freestyle with me that hey you know you could be a freestyler but you could be a songwriter as well and you could be a full potential blown musician and um that's where it started he's someone i know like i can go with anywhere and it's cool 
That is that is great. <laughs> it, what's your sign? I'm a Leo. Oh, okay. You got some fire under you. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> I like the Leo. She got a Leo and a Taurus. Virgo. And I'm a Pisces. Wow. My brother is a Pisces. I think that's probably why, because if, if you're a Leo, because I'm on the border, border of Leo and Virgo. It mm. is. You're on like, the cuff. I'm, yeah, I'm like right there. Okay. That explains So why. we're on the cuff of this next track. What's the... <laughs> 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 Let's introduce this next cut. The next track, the name of it is Odo featuring Bismarck. Tune in. Let us know what you think. Odo ye we mafi wo. Eti brana menchiro bibi. When you waba no kuma. Mosu kasa no kuma. Una tu no kumo.
that reggae vibe going on i feel it so they got reggae in east africa y'all for real yeah they do that is amazing so who wrote the track who laid the who laid the beats (laughs) so the story behind this song was um this song was actually created after we created najibunia which was um, the group that DMK Global put together. Um, the song was spreading, and one of my coworkers at work heard it, and he was like, I have an idea. Yeah. He, he just told me, I have an idea. Just make sure that on these specific days you're free, and we'll take it from there. <laughs> Yeah, um, so we actually, at that time, I was actually working at the airport, uh, Ronald Reagan Airport, and um, that's where we met um, me and this guy called Kwabina. Um, He's from Ghana, Um, and he was like, there is reggae in your country as well because I have done my homework. Like, literally, before this guy put me on this song, he did his homework, and he was like, I'm sure that you will be able to perform on this song you did amazing yeah you did i'm glad and, i was able I mean, to... this whole track is amazing thank you thank you for being on the voice of america oh yes i have a question Eva. yes what does odo mean odo means my love in what language <laughs> in tree it's a it's a tree it's a it's a language that's from ghana oh i knew it was in west africa i was close though you were I feel like tree is like the Swahili of West Africa. And that was our Sunday music spot. Hope you enjoy the music from Nightline Africa here, the English to Africa service of the Voice of America in Washington. Nightline Africa comes to you from the English to Africa service of the Voice of America. Hope you enjoy the program tonight. As you know by now, we are on Saturdays and Sundays at 16 and 18 hours UTC. From the Nightline Africa team, including producer Nicole Peters and engineer David Greenberg, we say thanks for joining us. And remember, as the elders say, if you start looking for a fly in your food, it means that you are full. I'm your host, Peter Clote in Washington. Good evening, Africa. Mm-hmm. 